Good morning, Flourishing Grace. Good morning. For those of you who are maybe new, my name is Josh Knight, pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. And we're beginning this brand new series this morning, Serpents and Doves, Serpents and Doves. And um, man, this is going to be for us, I think, um, a heavy series, right? We've had some, some really, really good times over the past few weeks, and it's just time to to just get owned for a little bit. It's going to be great for us. It's going to be a heavy, weighty series uh, for us. But at this, I hope, my hope is that kind of, because we come out on the other side of this, that we're going to come out um, and say, man, that was actually worth it, that we've actually grown together in this. This idea of serpents and doves comes from Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, uh, 16, Jesus says, uh, man, I'm sending you out um, as sheep, amongst wolves. I'm sending you out sheep amongst wolves, right? So be wise as serpents and as innocent or gentle as doves. Serpents and doves. Jesus sends us out into the culture of their day, sends out his disciples. He sends us out into the culture of our day to engage culture, right? To be in the world, not to be of the world, but to be in the world. And how do we effectively live in the culture of our day? We effectively live in the culture of our day by being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But are we doing a good job at this? The answer, I think, is no, right? In, in the culture of our day, this cultural moment in a, in a culture of kind of woke church, in the culture of gender dysphoria, in the culture of trans rights, in the culture of uh, MAGA extremists or QAnon conspiracy theorists, in the, in the culture of critical race theory or critical theory, queer theory, in, in, in the culture of our day, are we doing a good job at this? And already some of you are squirming a little bit. Some of you are like nudging your spouse, like, what are we getting into? I brought a friend. Can you say those words at church? For those of you who are not new, for those of you who have been around Flourishing Grace for a long time, you know this, right? You will never hear some political agenda from this stage. That's not what we are about here, and that's not going to start today, okay? If you hear some sort of political point or political agenda that you think I'm pushing, it's because you've inserted your own opinion into this. You will not hear any of that from me this morning. You're not going to hear any of that from me this entire sermon series, but I do believe that we are the bride of Christ, and you and I, we've been sent out as lambs, as sheep amongst wolves. And it is the job of the church to speak into the culture of our day, to be equipped to live into the culture of our day. And if we can't talk about it, how will we ever actually do it? How will we ever actually engage in it? And I don't think that we're doing a good job of this. I think that we are struggling in this. And as I begin to kind of prepare for this series um, I've been reading a lot of different books, and one of the books I've been reading is Rebecca McLaughlin's uh, new work called The Secular Creed. Um, it's a really short, simple work, and I, I would recommend it. It's something that I think we should read as a church. Uh, and she begins in the intro of the book about this, telling the story of, of a drive to church with her kids. And she says this, she says, she says, On our drive to church, we pass a hair salon, and its window is filled with posters of George Floyd. And massive multicolored wings proclaiming trans lives matter, black lives matter, love is love, better together. Across our neighborhood, yard signs declare, in this house we believe that black lives matter, love is love, women's rights are human rights, 
and all immigrants. We are all immigrants. Diversity makes us stronger. She goes on to say, signs like this sketch out our secular creed, our statement of belief. It centers not on God, but on diversity, equity, and everybody's right to be themselves. Seeing signs like this, Christians tend to grab hammers. Some grab one to drive signs into their own lawn, the same signs, the same types of signs. They lament racial injustice. They believe in diversity. They know women are equal to men. And they've been taught. They've been taught that affirming gay relationships, trans identities, pro-choice positions comes part and parcel with these other things. If black lives matter, which they surely do, then all kinds of love must be love. Others take up hammers with a different plan, knowing that the Bible rejects some things that are underlined in this modern creed. They swing a hammer to flatten the sign, perhaps not literally, but in their hearts and minds. If these ideas stand together, they must all be wrong. What Rebecca McLaughlin is saying is this. The Christian response in recent years to our, the culture of our day is kind of one of two categories. On a broad spectrum, it's one of two buckets. E- either we swing way over here and we say, no, I agree with all of that. And we put the same signs in our yard and hang the same flags on our flagpoles. And we say, man, I, I'm fully in. I want to be supportive. And I want to be uh, completely behind whatever culture is. And I don't want anybody to think that maybe, maybe, maybe I disagree with them. I want everybody to be comfortable around me and know that Jesus loves them. And so I'm on board. But there is no wisdom in that camp. No serpents there. But yet the other half of the church swings the other way. And they swing a different time of hammer. And they want to smash it all. And they want to rage against it and scream against it and, 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 and join different groups that are against this. And they, they get online and social media and they rant and rave and they, 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 they can't control themselves. Their anger boils up. And even as I read that list of things earlier, maybe even some of you in the rooms, you started, your blood started to boil just a little bit. There's no serpents there either, and there certainly are no doves. We are failing to live as our king has called us to live in this cultural moment. And I believe that as uncomfortable as it may be, that we as the church actually need to wade into this. Not, not to make some political statement or to create some political agenda, but to actually be the church. To actually be the people of Jesus. We need to step into this cultural moment to grow in wisdom and grow in innocence and gentleness. We're going to wade into the Proverbs of our God over the next few weeks, into the teachings of our King, and hopefully by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to walk away a little bit wiser and a little bit more innocent and gentle. Today, I want to paint with a broad brush, broad brush strokes. We're not going to get into any particular specific topic where it's going to kind of cover a, a broad swath, and we're going to talk about fear. I believe that the, one of the greatest problems within the church today is that culture scares us a little bit. It's why when I, when I read a list like that, uh, when, when I say certain words, right, all of a sudden our hearts start to beat a little bit faster, and we start, being, we start wondering, man, what's he going to say next? Does he realize that I brought a friend, and this could get really uncomfortable? And how do I want, like, there's a fear in our culture today. 
Many of us just want to bury our heads in the sand. We don't want to think about it. Don't talk about it. Right? And so you're upset that I'm even talking about it right now. You're frustrated with me. We're afraid. We're afraid of what's happening in our kids' schools. We're afraid of what's happening in our workplaces. We're afraid of what's happening all around us. And it doesn't matter what, what side of the aisle you're on. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. We're all afraid. And listen, the politicians know you're afraid. And they know that fear drives you. And they use this to kind of leverage you towards their group. They understand this. We are actually a fearful people. Even though we live in America, the greatest nation on the planet, Listen, I know it's 4th of July weekend, right? We, this is an amazing country, right? We have the most dominant superpower. Like, our, I was at the air show last week, right? I saw the F-22 and the, and the A-10 flying side by side. I'm like, yeah, nobody's messing with that. Like, no, nobody's messing with that. Like, we, we live in this amazingly secure place, and yet we are an unbelievably insecure people. And I know, I know you don't want to acknowledge that, but it's true. Fear has dictated and driven the decisions of our nation and of our country and the decisions of the West for a very, very long time. Fear drives us. Fear was the catalyst for dropping atomic bombs on Japan in World War II. Fear did that. Fear of the communists led us into Vietnam. Fear of blacks in the inner city led to the white flight and race riots of the 1960s. Fear of terrorism after 9-11 led us back into Iraq. Fear of immigrants led us to elect a man to said he would promise to build a wall. That's not a political statement. It's just the reality. We are a fearful people. We're afraid. Fear causes us to lose control. And when we lose control, we lose wisdom and we lose gentleness. We lose innocence. We begin to to run, panic and run, panic and run, panic and run. And we run to whatever gives us the greatest illusion of safety. It doesn't have to be real safety. It's just an illusion of safety. Whatever, Whatever institution or party or person promises to relieve your fear and protect you from whatever it is that you're afraid of, that's where we're gonna go. So, maybe you are a person who's afraid You have no control over what's being taught in your kids' schools, so you're running to the right. Maybe you're afraid that you're, not, that you're losing control over your own body, so you're running to the left. Maybe you're afraid of who's moving into your country, so you run to the right. Maybe you're afraid of who you're being told you can love and not love, and so you run into the left. We're a fearful people, and that fear is causing us to lose wisdom and lose innocence, and to run to the greatest illusion of safety. Our text for the day, Proverbs 25, 28, it reads this way. God teaches us this, gives us this wisdom. He says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Let me say that again. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. In ancient Israel, right, if, if, a, if a neighboring warring country breaks into your city, destroys your walls, and the occupying army now surrounds you and you have no walls to defend you, right, it's just 
panic and fear. We lose all self-control. We lose wisdom. We lose innocence. We lose gentleness. And we are willing to sacrifice all in order to find safety again. So we, we run to the next neighboring fortified city, and we'll do anything to enter into that. We'll give up ourselves. We, I will enter into slavery in order to enter into safety. We'll give up our family in order to enter into safety. Anything, like traveling through the ancient world was this risky thing. And to see a fortified city in the distance where you could take shelter and refuge, and that's, a, that's a sense of peace, a sense of goodness in that. We want to be a safe people. Safety and fear, or the fear of the lack of safety, drives us away from wisdom and away from innocence. Um, we had some friends in town last week um, in, from California, just visiting us, hang, hanging out. And uh, they were talking about how all, anybody here from California? Oh, really? You excited about that? You like, you like California? Um, just kidding. I love California. A lot of you are from California, right? We, our friends were talking about how all of their neighbors and all of their friends that they've known for so long are all leaving, right? Everybody's kind of fleeing California. Everybody's, everybody's afraid of what's being taught in their kids' schools. And everybody's afraid of what's being forced into their workplace. And everybody's afraid of kind of the, the new agenda and all these things. Right? And so they're, they're, they're fleeing. There's like this mass exodus. And they're also realizing they get millions of dollars for their house. And there's this mass exodus from California, right, to places like Austin, Texas, and Boise, Idaho, and Nashville, Tennessee, and even Salt Lake City, right? That's maybe even why some of you moved here, right? I mean, we, we, it's like panic and run. Like, I, I feel unsafe. I feel like my kids are unsafe. I feel like I, I don't, there's uncertainty in the future, and I don't know what this economy is going to be, and so I want to move to a place that feels, it gives an illusion of greater safety. This is just who we are. This is human nature to do this. This is not, I'm not condemning this. I'm just saying it's what we do. John was talking about our hike that we went on yesterday, he and Rachel and I. And, and at, the, at some point, the trail kind of ends, and you just have to kind of like scale up the side of this mountain, right? And, there's, and you're crawling across these like really loose rocks. And you, it doesn't take long to realize that when you're walking on the small rocks, they're giving way underneath you, and you're sliding down, and you're tripping, and you're falling, and you're something. But if you can find larger rocks, right, there's a little bit, there's an illusion of safety there, right? And so naturally, you just kind of move towards, and you're looking for the large rocks. It's an illusion of safety because those give way too, and there's like a greater fear when they do because you're not ready for it, right? And they're falling down on the people below you, right? There's a, but there's an illusion of safety. It's human nature to move towards that which we think is going to create safety for us. But it's not just California that's beginning to crack. It's not just California that's on shifting sand. It's, it's, it's all of the West. In the late 80s, when the Soviet Union uh, collapsed, the United States becomes the greatest superpower in the world, like the only superpower in the world. Right? We, we own the market, like we were it. The greatest economy, the greatest military, kind of the peak of this is in the 90s and everything's great and we're just like dominating in everything that we do, right? But then in 2001, we realized, oh wait, we were not impenetrable. There's a little crack that begins to settle in and there's a, there's a fear that begins to boil within us. And then we realized later in, in 2008 that our economy is not impenetrable. It too can collapse. And people can lose everything that they ever had in an instant, in a moment. 
And then as we move through, we realize that even this thing that we've built, that we thought was this amazing advancing thing, all this technology, we realize that even while it's advancing us, it's destroying us socially. And we continue to move, and there continues to become greater and greater uh, diversity uh, and polarization in our country. There continues to be a great, greater kind of warring and clashing against each other. And then just a few years ago, we realized that a seemingly small event all the way on the other side of the world, this tiny little microscopic event, can completely shut us down. And we realized that this, that this institution here that we have in the West that once was a buffer for our anxieties is now actually producing greater anxiety in us. And everything around us seems to be moving and shifting, and we are a people who are afraid. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to ask you a hard question, a question that I think if you are honest with yourself, if you're actually willing to like answer this question truthfully for yourself, will actually begin to lead you into greater wisdom. The question is this, simple, but it's hard. What right now in our culture, in this cultural moment, for you personally, is giving you the greatest amount of fear? What right now is producing in you the greatest amount of fear? Now, some of you are like, I'm not afraid of anything, right? Okay, fine. What right now in this cultural moment is producing in you the greatest concern? Is that a better word for you? The greatest maybe sense of unrest. What topic for you is, is makes your blood boil a little bit, makes you a little nervous. Maybe you're afraid of the next mass shooting. And so gun control is a big thing for you. Maybe you're afraid of men wanting to control your body. So the past couple weeks have been really hard for you. Maybe you're afraid of the rise of drugs. Maybe you're afraid of what theories your kids are being taught in school. Maybe you're afraid of big tech agenda. Maybe you're afraid of the growing global influence of China. Maybe you're afraid of the transgender movement amongst teenage girls. I, I don't know what it is. There's so many. We could, just, we could be here all day listening to the, the things in our culture right now that have got people all worked up. What is it for you? For you personally? And the second question is this. Where is that fear driving you? What is giving you the illusion of safety? Where is it pushing you? Who, who has promised to alleviate that fear for you? What, what institution? What political party? What political leader? Who, who has promised to alleviate that fear? Who's, who's promised to fight that battle for you? Where is that fear driving you? And here's the reality. This is what I want you to see First thing that I want you to see is, I mean, if you can answer that question, you've already done more work than most Americans have done on any of this. Just actually getting in touch with it, like how this is affecting you emotionally and where it's driving you, we're already beginning to grow in wisdom. We're already beginning to see what, uh, what our culture is doing to us. We're already beginning to see where the wolves are gnawing on us. And we can actually see it. And if you sit here and you say, I'm not afraid of anything. I hope that's true. I hope it's true. But my guess is, is that there's something. There's somewhere they've got a hook in you. There's something that's actually stirring you. There's something that you're actually 
afraid of in this cultural moment. And a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It causes us to panic and run. It causes us to abandon wisdom. It causes us to abandon innocence. So what do we need? What do we need? Well, we need self-control, but how do we actually get self-control? You can't just, you can't just muster that up. This is the second thing I want you to see this morning. What we need is a greater fortress. We need a greater fortress, and we have him. Our fortress has a name. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He is our sure foundation. He is our defender. He is our king who has established a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And and every single time, the kingdoms of this world, and I don't know what that kingdom is for you, if it's the kingdom of of MAGA extremists or the kingdom of of liberal elites, I, I don't know. Anytime the kingdoms of this world cause you to become fearful of what might happen around you, we have forgotten who our king is and who in the kingdom in which we've been invited to actually engage in. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken and a king who cannot be thwarted. We have security. And all of this, all of this fear is rooted in the reality that we have allowed these lesser things to grow to be greater fears. We've stopped fearing the Lord and we've started fearing the things of this world, these lesser kingdoms, these lesser things. Proverbs speaks about this constantly. This idea of what happens to us, the foolishness of fearing things more than we fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, famously, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Some of you say, but yeah, but just, I, I get it, Josh, but I'm just afraid of what's being taught in my kid's school. I have no control over that. Yeah. Proverbs 14, 26 says it this way. The fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. I know you feel like you have no control, but in the fear of the Lord, you can have strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord, your children will have refuge. Some of you say, but Josh, you don't understand. Don't you see what they're getting away with? Don't you see all these laws that they're passing and the things that they're getting away with on this side and all the things they're getting away with? This? Like if, we just, if we give in to this, they're just going to take everything. Yeah. Proverbs 23 17 says it this way, let not your heart envy sinners. Don't envy what they're getting away with, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the dead. Surely there is fortune and hope will not be cut off. Some of you are saying, but yeah, Josh, but they're, they're destroying our country, right? It's, So many people have died to afford us what we have, and now this thing that we have is actually dying. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of even death. When we fear the Lord above all other fears, we fear nothing else because we realize that Christ is already the victor. Christ has already won. 
He's already conquered sin. He's already conquered death. He's already conquered every power of darkness. He's already conquered. He is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over all nations. He's sovereign over every square inch of all things. He's sovereign over my kids. He's sovereign over this system of government and that system of government. He's sovereign over all of it, and he's my king. And hopefully he's your king. And he's established a kingdom for us. It's not America. It's not in this world. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be cracked. A kingdom that no one can break into and destroy its walls. He's already conquered all. This is who our king is. He's our sure foundation, the rock that we can build our house on, and we can build our hope on, and we have nothing to fear. We do not need to fear if Christ is truly king. And he is king. He's king of all. I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 46, 6 through 7. It says, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, but he, God, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is our fortress. And all the kingdoms of the world can muster all they want to muster. But when he speaks, they melt away. That's who our king is. That's who our God is. We have nothing. We have nothing to fear in Christ. There's nothing to fear. I I mean, he's done it all for us. We can rest in him. We can rest in the fortress that is Christ. And yet we are a people who constantly forget who we are in him and who, what he has done for us and who he is. And we're people who constantly live in the fear of this world. Because even though he has already conquered all and he eliminates all of our fears, he has not yet eliminated all the wolves. Yet. In that same passage in Matthew 10, Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But then he goes on to say, Beware of men. Amen, ladies. Uh, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Don't be afraid of how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. He's sovereign over it. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will, be, will deliver brother over to death. And the father his children. And the children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all. For my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I've said this before, anytime we talk about culture, it's, it's not going to get any better. And every time I say it, it actually comes true. It never gets better. Jesus says it's not going to get better. But he says, man, we don't have to fear tomorrow. And I believe that what our culture needs now, more than it needs anything 
more than it needs some other political party or some other political leader or some sort of justice, some new laws, more than we need anything else. We need a fearless church. And the only way that happens, the only way that takes place is if Christ becomes the center of his bride once again. If Christ becomes the weight and the ballast of this ship, where the storms of culture and the storms of this world can can blow against us as hard as they want, but if Christ is the ballast of this ship, nothing can affect us. And we believe this, and we know this to be true. We need the weight of Christ to once again be the weight of the church, the rock on which we can stand. So what does this look like? What does a fearless church look like? That's the last thing I want us to talk about. What does this look like in our culture today? What's a fearless church look like in, in our culture today? All right, we want to look again to Jesus. All right, Jesus, who is the great fortress, who is the conqueror, who is the king, does not look at a, at a, at a world that has been broken into, who is without walls, who is in absolute lack of self-control, who's running fr- afraid of the life, and say, man, that stinks. I hope you figure that out. No, the fortress comes to us. The fortress comes to those who don't deserve security. The fortress comes to those who don't deserve safety. The fortress comes to those who, who deserve to be on the outside of the walls. Jesus, our fortress, says, I love you and I want you at my table. And it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus invites the sinner, the poor, the marginalized. He invites the prostitute. He invites the drunkard. He invites the tax collector to come sit at his table, to enter into his rest, to enter into his peace, to become fully protected and fully secure in him, to have this peace that surpasses all understanding in him. And in the same way, we now who have this great security and this great fortress can now take it into a world that is so very, very, very afraid. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We've been given the ministry of what, church? Reconciliation. Not the a ministry of scoffing, not the ministry of condemning, not the ministry. Listen, I'm not saying we don't take sin seriously. If you've been around, you know that. But what I do know, what I do know is that the world around us who is screaming for their little kingdoms, whether they're QAnon conspiracy theorists, whether they're anti-immigration, whether they're pro-life, whether they're whether they're, uh, I mean, whatever. They're all afraid. They're afraid. Because their kingdom can't stand. And they know it. They know it. Everything around them is shaking. And they're screaming for their rights, and they're screaming for their dignity, and they're screaming for all these things that are only found in Christ. And you hold it. The church holds it. We have it. We have the kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have Christ who can restore their dignity, who can give them a peace that surpasses all understanding. We have Christ. We're the ministers of reconciliation. The world needs is a fearless church. 
that enters into their greatest spheres. It's not afraid to talk about these things. It doesn't bury our head in the sand and say, man, just wake me up when this is all over. It's not going to be over. It only gets worse. So we must, we must, we must now in this moment, we must place our full trust and our full hope in Christ and gain wisdom as serpents and gain innocence as doves with Christ in the ballast of the boat weighting us down, knowing that we are secure no matter what, come what may. He's sovereign over all. We can enter into a broken and dying and fearful world. The woman who didn't want to become a mom, but now is becoming a mom, needs a fearless church to enter into her life, to invite her to the table, to care for her, to care for her coming baby, to welcome them in with open arms and to love them well because the perfect love of our king cast out all fear, and it'll cast out her fear too. The teenage girl whose, whose, whose friends are uh, I mean, all, all, all considering or even participating in, um, in procedures that are, that, that are taking medications that are, that are actually reducing and transforming their gender, and she's afraid. I mean, I want to be included. I want, uh, these are my friends, and I want to go along with what they're doing, but what are my parents going to think, and what are my friends going to think, and what if this, and what if that, and what about my future? What if this? I mean, this f- girl, is, she's afraid. She did a fearless church. Not to condemn her, but to welcome her, to sit at the table. Introduce her to the king of glory. Introduce her to perfect safety and perfect love that casts out all fear. To reduce her fears. The immigrant who's here illegally, who is worried every day. Man, what if I am ripped out and removed away from my family? What if I lose my kids and my spouse and I'm forced to return to wherever I came from? Man, what is going to happen? Man, they need a fearless church to enter into their fears. A Savior whose perfect love casts out all fears to enter into their life. This is who we're called to be. This is who we must become. We can no longer be a people who are afraid of these things. We must be people who look at them straight on with the grace of Christ in our hands, the peace of Christ in our hearts, and say, come what may, I will not fear because my God is a fortress and nothing will stand against him. This week as I was preparing for this, um, I stumbled across in, in my devotional, I stumbled across this verse in Psalm 4, 8. I wanted to read it for you this morning. It won't be up here on the screen. I just kind of threw it in last minute. I think the Spirit just put it on my heart. Psalm 4, 8 says this. He says, in peace, I, the psalmist says, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I want us for a minute, just for a minute, to consider that question again. And where have we been running for safety? What political idea or agenda or person have, have we been putting our hope of safety into? Can we release that this morning? Can we say that, no, 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 I know and I believe that you alone, O oh Lord, are the place of true safety. And so therefore, because I have you, 
Christ has come for me. Christ has died for me. Christ has bled for me. Christ has rose for me. He's the victor over my life and over my sin and my death. I can rest in him. Nothing can take Christ from you. Nothing. Can we release our grasp on all of our other fears? Can we reject all other kingdoms and run to Christ and Christ alone? Can he become once again the, the, the ballast of our lives and in so the ballast once again of his bride, his church? This is not an easy conversation. I know some of you this morning, I said already, like you're squirming a little bit. Some of you are angry. Ah, you can't talk about this. And the whole time you've been like waiting for me to say something that supports this side of the aisle or something that supports that side of the aisle. What are you afraid of? Don't say nothing. Let us release our grasp on the things of this world and cling to all that we have in Christ. And let us enter into this broken and fearful and dying world with his grace and his mercy. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I know we have not done a good job in preparing your church for this moment that we find ourselves in. Would you once again treat us with mercy, kindness, and forgiveness as we turn to you now and surrender our rights and surrender our freedoms and surrender our safety and security or the illusion thereof in these lesser kingdoms? be gracious to us? Would you be kind to us? Would you fill us with perfect love? Reshape and remold the way we think about the world in which we live. And as we are sent out as sheep amongst wolves, would you increase our wisdom and our innocence as we fix our gaze on you? I pray these things in your sweet name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand. Let's declare his goodness over one another as we prepare to leave this place.